Happy New Year! You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the surprising connection between magic and technology with one of the most famous and successful magicians in history, David Copperfield. You'll also learn about how ducklings get a speed boost when they swim in a line behind their mother. Let's satisfy some curiosity. David Copperfield is probably the best-known stage magician today. He's won more than 21 Emmy Awards, holds 11 Guinness World Records, his face is on postage stamps in six different countries, and he was literally named a living legend by the U.S. Library of Congress. But before his name made it into the history books, he began collecting his own pieces of magic history in a secret museum accessible only to VIPs. That is, until he made it accessible to everyone in a new book. David Copperfield's History of Magic offers a tour of illusion history through profiles of 28 groundbreaking magicians and photos of their one-of-a-kind devices and set pieces. David told us how these pieces aren't just parts of magic history, they play a role in the history of technology, too. And to better understand this untold history, we figured we'd start at the beginning. So we asked him, what's the earliest evidence of a magic trick? We begin in about 1584 with the, the discovery of witchcraft, which is written by Reginald Scott. He wrote a book to kind of show how magic worked. That magic wasn't this mysterious thing we should be afraid of. It should be something that's very involving. We have books that predate that, tombs that open up with hydraulic principles uh, that are way before that here in the library. But his thing, Reginald Scott's book, which began performing magic, how to show, how to perform things and to, to you know, create a story with a, a wondrous story. That book was to really show this magic of technological principles to recreate what people thought was mysterious or witchcraft. It wasn't about burning witches or wasn't about, you know, a, a religious kind of thing. This is technique and technology to create wonder in that way. Uh, it wasn't, magic isn't meant to foster belief in something supernatural. It's about very, something very technical uh, and very beautiful, inspirational. Uh, a lot of times in magic's old, old history, if you had the ability to amaze somebody, sometimes it was used for nefarious purposes. You'd be the, you'd be Jafar, you know, Jafar whispering to, you know, the king. Uh, you'd start a religion on, on magic because you were able to do certain things. Uh, it's kind of the devil in Daniel Webster. You can light a match. You can go back in time and light a match. Whoa, you were amazing because the matches didn't exist. Everything that we do today, if we took it back in time, would be mysterious. The real people who do what I do are storytellers, people that are trying to create wonder and inspire people. And that's what this book is about. Yeah. Would it be fair then to say that magic helps us understand what's real? I think magic really shows what the future can be to really prototype what can, it can be. You know, George Méliès had a uh, movie called A Trip to the Moon. You know, the man in the moon face and the rocket goes into the, his face. And we could see people walking on the moon. And 70 years later, we landed on the moon. So I think visualizing what it could be helps people really to make it for real. In my work, I, I'm so lucky to see technology before other people say technology. I'm able to use technology in my show, which is indistinguishable from magic, you know. I can use technology. Eventually, it'll be in your home. You know, the first smart home was uh, invented by a magician. You know, doors would open up mysteriously. Now doors open up 
you know, with electric stuff all the time. Well, that's how it was done as a magic effect back then. Um, so I'm prototyping the future all the time with my magic, sometimes inventing the new, new technology myself, sometimes uh, using illusion technology that eventually people will be able to invent it for real. So both I'm doing it for real sometimes and it becomes magical and sometimes I'm doing something to make it look real and it will become real by people smarter than me. Huh. That's fascinating. Well, you, you mentioned the first filmmaker was a magician. Could you talk more about that too? Because that seems like technology as well. One of them. Sure. Uh, go see the movie Hugo. The Scorsese movie is a fantastic movie. It's about George Méliès. And George Méliès was one of the, they call him the, one of the fathers of special effects. He uh, had people appearing and disappearing because he was a magician. But the cinema was used in magician shows as a trick. You go into a theater, there's no story. You see a train coming at you. Whoa. And the audience go, oh my God. They couldn't believe this motion picture on the screen. Uh, Méliès had the wisdom of telling stories with it. He tell, tell a story about Cinderella or, you know, famous Amazing Lands or, or a trip to the moon. Um, so he, a magician had the wisdom of taking this magic effect, the cinema, and actually using it to tell stories. So I'm really proud of that. You know, uh, Guillermo del Toro, the amazing director, came here and he saw the Melies things in this display of his things and he got very emotional. He started to tear up and I said, why? Why are you getting emotional with this? And I knew why. I was kind of asking a question. That I knew the answer. And he said, because, you know, this is the beginning of it all. This is how it began. I wouldn't have my life. Would, is this? This is what it started. You know, my relationship to that, I love cinema. And I do kind of a cinematic live show at the MGM here in Las Vegas. My show is about storytelling and aliens and spaceships and, you know, not the normal language of magic. I'm trying to change that. But years ago, I was handed this prop, the secret prop that levitated Robert Houdin's son, that helped levitate Robert Houdin's son. And I had the same reaction. I'm holding this in my hand, this thing from the 1840s, and I began to cry. And it was because it was the beginning of it all, you know. And now I, I, I don't know how, but I possess it here. It's here in the museum, that particular piece of technology. That's cool. If it's a rule for a magician to never reveal his secrets, what if a magician comes up with some kind of like gear or something in the 1800s that does something no one else has done before? Well, they can't like run to the patent office and then work on that. So like, what does it take to uh, implement some kind of magical innovation into broader society? Well, it happens all the time. I mean, really what exists, you know, radios, transmission of information was used in magic before it was commonplace. Uh, there is a, a, a Buddha, which is a talking Buddha. It's a speaker. That's what it is. The effect is a speaker. Nobody knew about speakers. So you'd have a card selected and you go up to the, tell the specter to go up to the Buddha and the Buddha would say, you know, you'd listen. They go, seven of diamonds. People would freak out because they didn't know what a speaker was, you know? So I think a lot of things in my show, five years from now, I won't be able to use because it'll be a very common thing. But I get to use it now to try to inspire and amaze people really makes you wonder how many of the devices you use every day started out as magic tricks. Again, that was the legendary David Copperfield. You can find a link to his new book, David Copperfield's History of Magic, in today's show notes. And David will be back tomorrow to tell us what his secrets are doing on the moon. What do a team of cyclists and a family of ducks have in common? Both travel in a single file line for efficiency, but new research suggests that the ducklings get an added bonus. Single file swimming gives baby ducks a speed boost. 
Just like members of a cycling team draft off of one another to move more efficiently, ducklings will paddle in a single file line behind their mom to swim more efficiently. The reason they both do it comes down to physics. As a cyclist pushes forward, air pushes back, which creates drag. When riding alone, a cyclist not only has to spend energy pushing their own weight, but also has to combat that drag force. Another cyclist following close behind gets a cool benefit. They don't have to push as much air because the front cyclist is doing it for them. Traditionally, scientists thought ducklings were doing the same thing. Mom swims in front of the line, and as she does, she pushes water out of the way. The ducklings follow and have an easier time swimming because they don't have so much water to push through. But new research shows that there's a bit more to it than that. Researchers at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow built a mathematical simulation of ducklings swimming through water to better understand the forces at play. They found that as the mother duck pushes water out of the way, she creates a wake. Basically, as water floods the space behind her, it creates a wave that follows right on her tail. This wave creates a sweet spot for her ducklings. The ducklings in her wake basically surf this wave, and when they do, they experience a 158% reduction in drag. No, I didn't misspeak. The reduction is more than 100%. That means that not only do ducklings surfing their mom's wake get a reduction in drag, they also get a boost that actually pushes them forward. This isn't just true for the first follower either. Ducklings farther back in the line benefit too. Each swimmer passes this energetic boost down to the end of the line by creating little wakes that add to the boosting power of the big one. It all adds up to a free ride. Too bad that cyclists aren't so lucky. Before we recap what we learned today, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do because I've got a couple announcements. First off, it's a new year, and with that comes a new schedule. Curiosity Daily, for the foreseeable future, is going to be released on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We will not be releasing new episodes on Mondays or Tuesdays. I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you the way it's going to be. Maybe that'll change in the future. But for now, keep an eye on your podcast app a few days a week, Wednesday through Friday. One other slight change is that over the next several weeks, we have a bunch of episodes that Ashley and I have recorded and produced that are going to come out and it's just going to sound just like normal. But there's also going to be a handful of episodes hosted by just me, little old me. They're not going to happen for a while, but they're going to happen because production schedules just got very, very strange over the last several weeks. I just wanted to mentally prepare you for that. And finally, one more exciting announcement. This week, Ashley and I are going to be co-moderating expert panels about new and emerging technology at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, except from our homes, because we're not physically going to Las Vegas. You can find links in today's show notes to all the panels that we're co-moderating. But yeah, we usually go to CES and get to talk to some really exciting people about some really exciting things. This year, being in person is not really in the cards for obvious pandemic-related reasons, but it's not going to stop us from going online and doing these really cool panels that you can check out. Follow Ashley or me on social media. We'll be talking about them all week, I'm sure. Or, of course, like I said, check the show notes for links. But this Thursday and Friday, we'll be talking about some really cool stuff, including digital optics and the metaverse, bioelectronics and individualized medicine, as well as future computing technologies like quantum and neuromorphic computing and how smart antennas might help a lot of people get internet access in parts of the world where it's not otherwise available. 
So yeah, please join us over the next couple days. And of course, you'll have brand new episodes of Curiosity Daily, whether you join us or not. But you should, because they're going to be great. But anyway, right now, we should probably recap what we learned today. Well, we learned that one of the earliest pieces of evidence for a magic trick dates back to 1584 with The Discovery of Witchcraft by Reginald Scott. While there are books and artifacts that predate that, this was the first book to explain how to actually perform magic. Reginald Scott used technique and technology to create wonder. And technology turns out to play a big role in the entire history of magic. One of the first filmmakers was a magician. The first smart home was invented by a magician. And speakers and radio transmitters were used in magic before they were widespread. And even today, many things that David Copperfield and other magicians use in their shows might one day be common pieces of technology. We just don't know about them yet. Ashley, your husband, as a mentalist, is part of the magic community, is he not? He is. He is. Had he heard of David Copperfield? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, he had heard of David Copperfield. (laughs) How jealous was he when he found out we were going to interview him? Oh, I have been bragging so much. (laughs) Every time we tell people when we're both in the same room, everyone's like, wait, wait, you interviewed him? He didn't interview you? did it? And I was like, yep. I'm just just that good. (laughs) I gotta say, you know, Ashley, we've interviewed some pretty big names in this podcast. Alan Alda, LeVar Burton, Bill Nye, Nobel Prize winners, Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering winners, and you know, the whole, the whole nine. David Copperfield's the first living legend we have interviewed. And uh, I was, I was pretty floored when we had the opportunity and he was a super nice guy, very charming. And I gotta say his book is outstanding. Yes. So, you know, a lot of authors have talked about their books on our show and they're all really great, but this is a different kind of book. It's not just like, uh, you know, like a six inch by eight inch book that you open up and you read and it's two, 300 pages and there's a bunch of words there. This is like a rich multimedia, like large magazine size, but thicker coffee table book with like full page photo spreads and just really elegant writing and and snapshot stories that you can kind of like get in and out of, of various parts of history and how magic ties into film and cinema and in lots of other types of history. And I know I sound like I'm overselling it. I promise we're not being paid for this, but it was notable. Literally when I opened the box, when this came in the mail, I was like, this is different this is very different from the average book that we get. And uh, I, I really highly recommend you check it out if you're looking for something to set out and have hanging out in your house. It has like golden accents on the outside. It's, it's the kind of thing that you would put on your coffee table that you want to show off. Highly recommend it. And we also learned that ducklings that swim in a line behind their mother don't just save energy. They actually get a speed boost thanks to the waves mom makes in her wake. Scientists figured this out by creating a mathematical simulation of ducklings swimming through water, and they found that ducklings in a line experience a 158% reduction in drag. Or to put it another way, they get a 58% boost in speed. Isn't seeing a mama duck with a line of ducklings behind her swimming through the water like the best thing? Just, Just the best thing you can see. I just get very confused when there's more than three ducklings following the mother. Because, you know, I know their names. I know the names of the first three, but then I don't know about the fourth one, right? You know, it's... Oh, right. It's Huey, Louie. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. That was the other one, yep. It's a rule. It's a, it's a law of nature, actually, that the 
And and in that order specifically, it's got to be Huey, Dewey, and Louie, right? So like, you know, what what's the fourth one, Ashley? What's the name of the fourth one? Huina. <laughs> Huina, Duina, and Louina. Just makes it easy. <laughs> it really does. You know, you don't have to think of new names for your other ducklings. They don't have to have baby naming books. They just they only have a certain number of options. Yes. We all learned something today. <laughs> The writer for today's duckling story was Cameron Duke. Curiosity Daily is distributed by Discovery. Life's all a mystery, so join us again next time to rewrite history and learn something new in just a few minutes. I mean, who knows what you'll learn about? Race cars? Lasers? Aeroplanes? And until then, stay curious.